a month since we at least had our first shelter in place in San Francisco. I don't know where everyone's joining us from tonight. Uh, one of the positive changes has been that um, gathering online allows us to have people from all over the country and sometimes the world joining us. So um, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are right now. And in case you missed the first few minutes of the program, my name is Heather and I live at City Center, which is our San Francisco Zen Center's urban temple in San Francisco, of course, where I am uh, the program director for all three temples, as well as an ordained priest. Um, so I'm going to give a short Dharma talk. And afterward, we will have a question and response. And if we have time, we can break into small groups if we'd like. So the title of this talk is Let the Cold Kill You. And I first heard of this koan, so I'll read the koan to you first. Um, koan is spelled K-O-A-N. So a monk asked, the Zen, the Zen master, cold and heat descend upon us. How can we avoid them? The Zen master replied, why don't you go where there is no cold or heat? The monk said, well, where is the place where there is no cold or heat? And the Zen master replied, when cold, let it be so cold that it kills you. And when hot, let it be so hot that it kills you. So this koan comes from the Blue Cliff Record, uh, case 43. The Blue Cliff Record is a collection of these koans um, that people often study or contemplate as part of their practice. There also are just wonderful stories, even if you are not um, a person who necessarily follows the Zen tradition, they are really wonderful enigmatic stories. The word koan in Chinese means something akin to like an official public case. And in Japanese, the word means um, a matter for public thought. So these paradoxical anecdotes um, often, especially in the Renzai tradition, R-I-N-Z-A-I, and the Renzai uh, Zen tradition, teachers will work with their students on a koan curriculum. In this tradition of Zen, Soto Zen, S-O-T-O, um, we don't usually practice with koans, not in the same way uh, that they do in the other tradition. But often it's helpful to take up these koans just to help deepen our understanding of our meditation practice, as well as our life practice, right? Not, they're not separate. Um, being on the cushion is still obviously part of our life and what we're doing. So um, the, if you will, the point of a koan is to confound the intellectual mind, right? So it's a story that's paradoxical that the intellect can't grasp. And of course, ironically, I'm gonna be talking about the koan 
So um, as Katagiri Roshi, who is uh, the abbot of Zen Center for a while, and then also founded his own Zen centers in Minnesota, and Katagiri Roshi was my teacher's teacher, he would say that you have to say something, right? So um, here's my something about this particular koan. So when the monk asks, you know, how can we avoid cold and heat? I mean, does he really mean this literally? Is this question just about how to avoid extreme weather? I would say yes and no. I mean, the monk is asking the master a question that many of us have probably pondered ourselves. How can I avoid what I dislike? And, you know, conversely, um, how can I get what I want, right? Uh, we're always looking to avoid um, pain and grasp onto pleasure, which um, of course, as human animals, that's understandable. Like most animals, we wanna avoid that which causes us pain and move toward that which causes us pleasure. Depending on lots of factors in our lives, you know, um, our socioeconomic class, uh, where we live, right? We can manipulate our environment and avoid a certain amount of physical discomfort. So if we dislike cold weather, we can turn up the heat in our houses, put on warm clothes or move to a warmer country. If we dislike hot weather, we can put on the air conditioner or a fan, put on shorts and a t-shirt or move to a colder climate. So there's nothing wrong, of course, with attending to our physical needs and being safe and comfortable. But on a deeper level, deeper, deeper level, however, um, this monk is really asking, how can I avoid the suffering that's arising in the moment, right? Not only the physical, physical discomfort I might be experiencing, but also the psycho-emotional suffering that's inherent to being alive. Losing people that we love, which um, may be even more close, may even be more palpable, or may be, um, have happened to some of us given uh, this pandemic. There's lots of um, people who have died that we were not expecting to die. I, um, one of my neighbors from my childhood passed away at 50 from COVID. Um, a couple other people I know from my neighborhood also have died of COVID. So um, the MR mortality this pandemic has definitely brought forth, at least for me, um, a palpable sense that I am going to die. Um, so, um, so there's lots of suffering in the world as we know, dying, of course, losing somebody that we love, becoming sick, uh, sometimes growing old is suffering losing our job, losing our, maybe having a marriage breakup or a friendship breakup. So there's countless, countless ways that we can suffer as human beings. And there's also countless ways in our society, especially these days, to avoid suffering, to avoid feeling any physical or, or maybe not physical, but definitely psycho-emotional discomfort. Um, we can intoxicate ourselves with food, entertainment, work, sex, exercise, the internet, and of course, with our own thinking, right? Our own fantasy, the proliferating mind, we can get caught up in our stories about the future or the present, right? Um, so 
the our ability to have this creative imagination, of course, it's wonderful. And then it gets us as human animals into a lot of trouble because often our thinking mind causes, often our thinking mind, our identification with thinking mind, with the narratives that show up, often cause us to suffer, right? So sometimes you might hear this thinking mind referred to as small mind or conditioned mind or discriminating mind, depending on the teacher. Um, we often refer to the mind that's chatter, chattering all the time um, as this uh, small mind or discriminating mind. So um, we can get lost in our thoughts, what my teacher would call like fascination with thinking. You know, she would always tell me to drop fascination with thinking. And of course, sometimes we don't even know that we're caught up in our thoughts, right? We get lost in thought. This is one of the main ways that we distract ourselves from what's happening in the moment. You know, the ability for our minds to time travel, right, is both a blessing and a curse, of course, because we're so adept at avoiding our suffering, we often don't even notice that we are suffering. So Siddhartha, uh, that's the Buddha's um, name, he left his princely life after seeing an old man, a sick person, and a corpse being taken for cremation and also a monk meditating under a tree. He saw these four signs and that catalyzed him to actually leave his princely life behind and investigate what is the sickness, old age and death, the suffering, investigate it and try to be liberated from it, right? Investigating this. Um, so, I think one of the first things uh, to liberation for liberation is really to acknowledge that we're suffering, right? Acknowledge that we're experiencing some suffering because it's too hot, if you will, or because it's too cold, right? The, um, you could of course put anything you want in there for hot or cold. I mean, obviously there are metaphors, but you could also put literal words in there. Like, uh, you know, where can I go where there's no COVID? Right, where can I go where my boss isn't? <laughs> right, you can substitute your own words in there. How do I avoid COVID? How do I avoid this person who drives me crazy? How do I avoid, um, yeah, anything, right? It's all about how do I avoid, that's what the monk's saying. How do I avoid being hot? How do I avoid being cold? How do I avoid the suffering? How do I get away from what I don't want to be with, right? So, um, so the first step is acknowledging that there actually is suffering. And maybe that's why many of us uh, have sought out practicing Buddhism or practicing meditation, right? We, we might've tried different ways to experience happiness um, and found that even if our external circumstances change, we often don't experience contentment and that there's still suffering uh, present. Um, so the Zen master's initial response to the monk, it might seem like he's encouraging him to avoid his dislikes, right? Well, why don't you go where there is no cold or heat? Well, okay, that sounds like a great idea. I'll, I'll go do that. Thanks for your help, right? Of course, there really isn't any place that is never cold or hot. I mean, I guess maybe San Diego, right? That might be a place where it's usually neither cold nor hot. Um, so Tozan is 
what is he suggesting to this monk then, right? He's, he's suggesting to the monk that cold and hot are relative and also impermanent events as, as is all conditioned phenomena, right? That our likes and our dislikes are subjective states of mind. They're not objective realities. It's all about our perception, right? So it's how we respond to what's arising in the moment that reflects our personalities, our states of mind, our karmic conditioning, right? So when some situation is not to our liking, uh, we often react to the situation um, in the same old way that we have in the past, hoping for some relief, hoping for things to be different. And if the situation is too distressing, well, we usually seek out some comfort, some way to soothe ourselves. We also equate being able to avoid suffering and satisfying our sensual desires with freedom, right? So in the United States, the land of the free, we have um, the freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of the press. We have conveniences like dishwashers, washing machines, dryers, television sets, you know, with tons of TV stations. We can buy any clothing we want, food, wine. I mean, most of us, depending on our socioeconomic um, conditions, have access to many things that other people don't, and also ways in which we are free, right? Um, I remember, I'm old enough to remember like going to the grocery store and there was only like maybe seven different types of candy bars. <laughs> and there was not all this single source, fair trade, one origin, 90% cacao from Venezuela or something. I mean, it was just like a few choices. We had the Reggie bar, you had the thousand dollar grand bar, you had your marathon bar. I mean, they were all kind of cruddy chocolate back then, but uh, we didn't have like these limitless choices, right? And, and sometimes I think we think that might be freedom, but also in some ways it's kind of paralyzing. At least it is for me sometimes. It's like, just make a choice for me, right? So we, there's all these ways in which it looks like we can be free and we want to be free, but all these external circumstances often don't lead to any kind of freedom. And they often sometimes exacerbate our suffering. So on the surface, these modern escapes from suffering seem to offer us, you know, the freedom from stress or dissatisfaction. Um, and we have a world economy, right? Like I was talking about, that's founded on trying to fulfill our endless sensual desires and avoid the pain and suffering that's inherent in life. So society tells us if we get a new car, a new job, a new boyfriend or girlfriend or another promotion, um, all of our worries and fears will vanish. However, as we probably know, if our freedom is wrapped up in these external circumstances, these material conveniences, then what, when they're stripped away, what happens to our freedom? So if our freedom, our liberation exists out there, right? If I could only be happy when I'm living in San Diego and it's 82 degrees every single day, well, what happens when I'm no longer in San Diego or what happens when all of a sudden San Diego gets hit by a snowstorm? So if our liberation, our contentment has something to do with outside of us. And then that's out of our control when it's pulled away from us, um, which is part of what a monastic practice does. It puts you into this other container where you're not able to manipulate what's going on, the hot or the cold, the schedule, you follow the schedule, 
and it, we practice with um, choicelessness, as uh, Pema Chodron said to said to me once. It's a practice of choicelessness, right? So it's how do I? So when we're sitting on the cushion, right? We sit on the cushion. In some ways, it's a practice of choicelessness when we're on the cushion. We're just letting what arise arise and let it fall away. We're not grasping onto it. We're not pushing it away. So we're we're practicing with not manipulating what's arising. Right. So it's like the practice of sitting with physical discomfort on the cushion. Sometimes, obviously, we don't want to hurt ourselves, but sometimes sitting with physical discomfort also helps us stay stable and equanimous with psycho-emotional discomfort. Right. So any heavy emotions like depression or fear or anger or shame, sometimes the uh, ability to stay physically stable and not move helps with the mental posture of staying present and not moving, if you will, not allowing our fantasies to take us away from what's going on in the present moment, right? So when we turn toward this physical and psycho-emotional suffering, right, we're able to, um, what, what sometimes teachers say, widen the container, widen our container expand our comfort zone, right? Our comfort zone becomes bigger in that we're more comfortable with more discomfort, if that makes sense. That we're able to handle feeling discomfort without reacting and panicking. So one time when I was, uh, had the good fortune of practicing with Pema children up in um, Gampo Abbey in Nova Scotia, she said, you know, most people, when they start to feel uh, a heavy emotion, they'll panic instead of being able to stay with the anxiety or stay with the grief or the shame or the anger, really being present with it. We act away from it instead of being, instead of feeling angry, maybe we shout, maybe we hit, hit the wall, maybe we run away, maybe we get in our car and drive fast, maybe we jog. So those are, that's better than hitting yourself or hitting someone else. But being able to sit still in the middle of anger is not so easy sometimes. It can be very frightening. And sitting zazen allows us to become more comfortable with the discomfort, um, right? To allow us to be able to expand and deepen our container, our ability to stay with what's to, with the heat or with the cold, right? So when we begin to notice our likes and dislikes more and more while we're sitting on the cushion, especially, we get to notice more and more what our preferences are um, and how we're affected by these moods. So um, the one thing about sitting in, when I lived at Tassajara, the Zen mountain center, uh, I lived in the monastery for about seven years get to be really familiar with what it is you like and dislike because there's not that many distractions, number one. <laughs> it's pretty much bare bones and you're not able to manipulate the schedule. So, um, and you get to sit, especially during retreats, you get to sit for long periods of time and you get to see the whole world. You get to experience the sunrise and 
how the sun moves across the zendo depending on you can tell like when it's the morning when it's high noon when it's the sun is retreating just by the shadows being cast in the zendo and you you can experience um you know the window might be open or that's not really even a window it's just a shoji screen and there's this lovely air coming in and when it's really hot out that feels great to have the cool air um, and then if it's the winter time the last thing you want is that little rice paper screen to be open see so it's like the wind isn't changing you know it's just like you get to be in the middle of all the shifting circumstances and you just get to experience it so sometimes you feel cold sometimes you feel hot sometimes you feel sleepy sometimes you feel alert Sometimes you can't stand the person sitting next to you. Sometimes you love the person sitting next to you. Sometimes you can't stand yourself. Sometimes you love yourself. And you're just watching all of this coming and going, coming and going, like the breath arising and falling, right? All conditioned phenomena change, right? One of the two Buddha's main teachings is everything's impermanent, right? So everything's impermanent, just like the hot and cold, they're all relative. If you only ever lived in San Diego, and it was only ever 82 degrees, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, there's nothing to compare it to because there's just in this moment, 82 degree weather, right? So this is just like the relativity that um, we human beings live in, right? We live in this relative world. So when we go, we are able to continue to experience these ups and downs physically and mentally, right? Just by sitting in this tradition we call shikintaza, just sitting, we get to cultivate this uh, innate ability to stay present and open to whatever's arising, right? Just like the sky, clouds, planes, birds, whatever comes through the sky, the occasional NASA rocket, just comes through and goes away, it passes through. So all conditioned phenomena, including us, we are conditioned phenomena, uh, material conditioned phenomena, as well, as well as mental, right? Thoughts are a mentality. In the Buddhist tradition, we say thoughts are a mentality and then form is physicality or materiality, right? So we get to notice and experience whatever arises in the moment, if it's hot, if it's cold, it's all in flux, right? It's all in flux. So this, what Zazen helps us with is practicing continuity of mindfulness. So whether it's hot or cold, whether it's, um, whether you like the food that's being given to you at the monastery or you're sleepy, like I said before, all of that, we get to just, watch all of it. So the continuity of mindfulness that we cultivate while we're on the cushion follows us. We take it with us into everyday activity, right? When there's a story of um, uh, saying, Zen saying, you know, chop wood and carry water. When I'm chopping wood, all that's arising is the chopping of the wood. There's not thoughts about, I hate chopping the wood, or I wish someone else was chopping the wood, right? So it's the sinking of body and mind so bringing Zazen mind into everyday activity, right? So you're chopping water, sorry, you're chopping water, you're chopping wood and you're carrying water, right? Um, so 
Cultivating this continuity of mindfulness on the cushion helps us be more present for the hot and cold, helps us to stay equanimous, to stay present, to stay open to our dislikes. Um, and in that way, that's what the Zen master is saying to the monk. He's saying to him, if it's cold, let the cold kill you, meaning just don't resist it anymore. The suffering is all that resistance, right? The suffering and resistance are the same thing. So um, when he says, you know, to go where there is no cold or heat, he's actually reminding the monk that there is no way you can escape causes and conditions of life, right? There's no way you can escape where we are all just causes and conditions in life. And he's also encouraging the monk to continue practicing and investigating the origins of suffering and to investigate the relativity of our experience as well as the impermanence of our experience. So we can't know cold without hot and hot without cold. So the, our discriminating mind likes to compare and complain when our preferences aren't met. It daydreams about summer during the winter and it daydreams about the winter during the summer. So there's a lot less suffering in our lives when we acknowledge our present reality and drop ideas about how we think things should be different than how they are, right? So letting go, if you will, um, I guess letting go of hope or at least letting go of fantasizing about something being different, we can just settle more into what's going on in the present moment over and over again, just over and over again. Letting go of wanting something to be different uh, is already one way to help alleviate suffering. So when he says, when the Zen master says, um, when cold, let it be so cold that it kills you, when hot, let it be so hot that it kills you, he's instructing the monk to cultivate the physical and mental posture, not by repression or stoicism of freedom within stressful or painful situations, right? So when we meet arising circumstances with equanimity, mental equanimity, our karmic habitual patterns are gradually burned off, right? That is our old selves start to die, they're slowly transformed, not because we're necessarily doing anything, but through our non-judgmental awareness, our attention on the cushion, our, our um, suffering begins to transform itself, right? So when we just feel the cold or the heat without resistance without our interpreting it, without our pushing it away. This is how we become really intimate with the hot or really intimate with the cold. Um, and that's, that's true freedom is to become intimate, to be able to stay present with what's arising and letting go of wanting something to be different. So that's, that's my understanding of this koan about letting cold, letting it be so cold that the cold will kill you. So, um, and kill you basically means stop the thinking mind, stopping the thinking mind. Not that you're intentionally stopping it, but the thinking mind falls away, just falls away, right? It's just poof, it settles, so. Thank you for listening. I see that it's 
9.15. Well, I'm, I'm speaking of cold. I'm in Colorado right now, so it is cold here. Uh, and I'm enjoying it, but it is cold. So, um, well, why don't you ask, see if you have any questions? I'd be happy to respond to 